Alrighty. Hey. Well, welcome back, people. Incoming uh, governor for the RBA. I think her first meeting will start in October, Dave. Her name's Michelle yep. Bullock. She was yeah, the think, deputy um, governor. Philip Lowe, I think, finishes on the 17th, so um, yeah. which would be, or 18th, so next Monday. Mm. Yeah, so Michelle Bullock is going to take over from him. She was the deputy governor of the RBA for a while. Now she's going to become the head of the RBA. She was chatting about how climate change affects inflation at a university mm-hmm. uh, conference she did to at like a speaking engagement and spoke about how climate change affects inflation. So she noted that like most central banks in the world, they're used to navigating economic uncertainty, but climate change poses a pretty acute issue because the bank is unable to predict how it will affect the economy and financial system. So she noted some examples that hotter temperatures and more extreme weather will disrupt businesses. It can damage property and lower productivity growth. Uh Actions taken can reduce emissions, which may present adjusting costs, but will also present opportunities. One example she spoke about is obviously the initial change to a more renewable type of like energy production might mean that uh, energy is more expensive for the consumer for maybe a year or two, and then maybe that'll subside and 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 figure itself out uh, once the challenges have been sort of broached. She talks as well about like bushfires, floods, and other natural disasters can lead to supply shortages of products, leading to supply shocks and driving up prices until conditions improve and production returns. So I'm going to point to a couple of examples again. So we talked to John Linderman on the podcast a a while back now, and he talked about how the fires that happened, I believe, in 2019, Dave, burnt away a lot of our our timber, Aussie timber stocks that we use in the country for building materials. So if we have a a drastic uh, lowering of the the supply stocks we we would usually have in in wood to build houses, that's going to have an effect on the price of wood and lumber for, for housing purposes. One of the other things like that Michelle Bullock said, if these disruptions become more frequent, severe or protracted due to climate change, prices could become more volatile also having adverse effects on productive uh, productive capacity and remain higher for longer. So it's interesting for them to talk about it, obviously, to admit that how the RBA can sort of affect things like that is a little more out of their wheelhouse, but it's cool that she's acknowledging it. And I just thought it was an interesting one to talk to people about. Um, we've spoken to a guy on the podcast called Steve Keane, who's an economist based over in England, who talks about how uh, adverse weather events that might become more uh, more more consistent uh, across the country, uh, across the world, can affect factories. It can affect uh, the productivity of certain businesses who are, you know, adversely affected by weather changes, uh, and that might cause short-term inflation shocks to different parts of what people spend their money on. Right, like if we have a bad flood or a bad cyclone where people grow bananas in Australia. We might have a banana shortage and bananas are super expensive for a year or two. So there's all these different uh, impacts that it has. So, yeah, I wondered, like, what your thoughts were on her comments and and then we'll move on. Yeah, we're we're already seeing that now, Damo. Like, if you're uh, buying a property in an area that has sort of more weather events, um, you know, like floods around Lismore Grafton that we had, we had similar ones at um, around Townsville, Cairns, those sorts of places, you're already playing paying through the nose for insurance. So it's already starting to happen. And, you know, as, you know, 
the Housing Australia Future Fund was part, or allegedly is going to get passed in the Senate this week, which will you know, aim to boost housing supply. You know, that's, going, that's going to put more supply pressure, or sorry, demand pressure on um, building materials. So, yeah, it's all, all these things are part of the mix. And, um, yeah, you should be looking at you know, climate impacts for areas if you, if you are looking to invest because they'll they'll become you know, more real over the over the coming years. Yeah, okay. Another one I was going to cover. So, take any banking economist telling you what he thinks the economy is going to do in the future with a grain of salt because they obviously have metrics and data they can look at to make a prediction on, but things change very rapidly. Like I think before the Ukraine Russia shit kicked off in in february i think of last year um, yeah. before that kicked off people were expecting the world to go a very different way economically that that's yes. drastically changed in terms of you know supply shortages of certain goods to different parts of the world and how things could be shipped through and yeah. around a, a war zone affects inflation too right so um mm-hmm. all these predictions are that they're predictions they're not you know saying this is going to happen put all your eggs in the basket. So one of the smaller banks is called AMP. It's not a big four, but it's another lender. Their head economist is a guy called Shane Oliver. And he had basically spoken about his thought that the likelihood of a recession was very high. He had shared concerns that the RBA was doing too much in regards to raising rates and not allowing each of those rate rises the the, uh, allotted time necessary to see how that impacts the economy because in his head, a lot of these rate rises have a lagging effect on the economy and he thought that they had raised rates too quickly. However, the ANZ Bank, which is one of the big four, released an economic report. They share less concern for a recession uh, as uh, a little, a lot, a lot less likely than what Shane Oliver's saying. They said things like favorable GDP results and the RBA's decision to hold rates again. They are, in quotes, inclined to characterize the current pace of growth as softer rather than weak. Uh, They say the labor market will remain somewhat resilient with the economy looking on track to achieve a soft landing. And they talked about the GDP data, which is gross domestic product data revealing an upward revision. So the GDP of the country grew 0.4% in the first quarter of uh, this year. And in the second quarter of this year, it achieved another 0.4% uptick in growth, uh, which is obviously stronger than a lot of people expected. So They also noted households are continuing to cut back on spending. Discretionary spending quarter uh, quarter to quarter is down 0.5% and consumer spending has declined now for three quarters in a row. Uh, So we'll see what happens with the final quarter of data, which will come out a bit after December, I think. And last thing on this, right? So yeah, January. So last thing on this, David Robertson is a chief economist for Bendigo Bank, which is another smaller bank. And his, his, his thoughts are a little more aligned with Shane Oliver's than they are ANZ's. He said, despite positive signs, he thinks the RBA uh, tightening cycle might not be finished. He thinks the current economic data might not support the choice to raise rates in October, which is the next meeting that will take place with the RBA to de- to decide what to do. But the data on quarterly inflation, inflation that is due to come out in the next month or so might affect what Michelle Bullock does in the November decision. So maybe he's thinking that inflation might not be as low as they want it to be and that they might end up raising rates again in November uh, as a result. So again, like 
real mixed bag of people's opinions, but I thought I'd share a couple of different ones. So I wanted your thoughts on it. Yeah, look, one of, one of the things we talked about for a while is how, well, in my opinion anyway, Australia's in a recession. Um, like GDP is going up, but per capita GDP is not. Um, the reason GDP is going up is because there's more people here. Because, you know, we've we've um, had, you know, half a million people um, migrating into Australia. And, you know, a lot of those people may have left when COVID hit and went back to, you know, where, where they're, um, you know, where they came from before they came to Australia. But, you know, we've, we've actually got, um, you know, spending per head's going down and we are in a technical recession. Um, now, I do have to mention that I failed economics at school. Um, might come as a bit of a surprise, but Blacktown High wasn't, you know, the sort of home of thought, economic thought leaders. But yeah, the the fact the figures don't lie. I'd be very surprised if rates go up again. Um, yeah, I think they'll stay and hold for an extended period, and then they'll probably drop. That that's my um, that's my view. Yeah, there the, there's talk out of the US that you now the economy there's still pretty hot, and they might raise interest rates again. But when the the majority of Australians. Um, who have a loan, whether it's an investment loan or a owner-occupier loan, are on variable rates. So when rates go up, there's an impact to people's hip pocket um, because their their mortgage repayments go up. You know whether that's whether that's um, you know they're making the mortgage repayments out of their salary or whether they're getting help from a tenant. Whereas in the US. A lot of people are on like thirty-year fixed rate loans or twenty-year fixed rate loans. So when the interest rate goes up or down in the economy, it doesn't really impact the mortgage bill that much. So um, the main the main driver, like a lot of the economists, you know, when rates go up or down, say prices will go up or down. Now we've had interest rates go up four percent since June May of twenty twenty two, but in that time, some markets have grown quite dramatically. So there's no direct correlation between interest rates and prices. It's just one of the factors that you know might go into the mix. Um, so look, yeah, yeah, and in my view, I, I can't see rates going up. But if they're going to go up, November's normally the year when they do things. And there was an old school of thought that the RBA would would put up interest rates in the first Tuesday of November because that's where Melbourne Cup's on, and um, they could sort of sneak it through while everyone's drinking champagne and um, and Peronis. So um, anyway, we'll just just see how, how it all pans out. In the end, when rates do drop, um, consumer sentiment will improve, and then that's when more people might go, "Hey, it's time to to get into the market." And yeah, you know, it may lead to more people buying, which means prices will go up. But mm. yeah, you know, there's there's other factors in there like supply and a few other things. So who yeah. knows? Yeah, okay. Well, there's a couple of I feel like there was a a, a thing you wanted to cover with like property trends, right? Uh yeah. one guy's property trends expectations for the next couple of years. Yeah, I'm pretty sure I can't remember where we got these from, but um it just I just saw it, it was interesting. Um yeah, just some some property trends some people are seeing over 2023 24 that property values will likely rise mainly because um of lack of supply and rents going up we've got, we've got quite a few first home buyers um mm. on our books at the moment 
And a lot of them, when I talked to them about, you know, what spurred you on to do something, said, you know, just rent's going up. So we just worked out um, if rents keep going up, we're going to be better off buying. So that that's um, that's interesting. Yeah, the economy is probably going to slowly improve. The official interest rate, we think, and some of the economists are saying that um, the same will remain unchanged and probably drop in 2024. Like Combank have said, they think the March meeting of next year, which will be the 19th of March, the RBA will drop interest rates. So, yeah, they think it's early 2024. Yeah, immigration is going to keep um, continuing. Apparently, there was only like, there was only 6,000 people that immigrated to Australia in 2021 during the pandemic. Um, and now they're thinking in 2023 it could be like 450,000. Yeah. Um, yeah, bring 450,000 people in the country, even if there's three people per household, that's an extra 150,000 dwellings we've got to find. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, it's crazy. Real yeah, quick rent. on that one, Dad, real quick. Like yeah. I've been hearing a few. I've, I tried listening to a couple of people who – maybe aren't uh, following, I guess, the orthodoxy of what's going on with housing in Australia, but have some interesting thoughts that like with the immigration stuff. So like a lot of people are saying the only way to fix the housing crisis is uh, building more. So there's more supply when at the same time, like what this stat is from Westpac and that they're expecting immigration for 2023 to hit 450,000 people which is the demand side of the supply-demand equation. So if the government really wanted to fix what we're calling a housing crisis, they could just figure out a way to lower demand, which they can yeah. do by reducing the number of people they let in. And I'm not trying to be like xenophobic about you know who we let in and who we don't let in. I'm just saying if you wanted to fix a shortage for housing, the demand side of the equation doesn't get talked about at all. So like yeah. it's worth it's worth keeping in mind like if the government really wanted to stop the housing crisis getting worse they would yeah. stop letting so many people migrate here but at the same time we've got a bunch of boom uh, baby boomers coming out of the workforce so we're going to have a, a lower workforce and we're not replacing ourselves in the population because the average the average uh you know family has on average i think 1.7 children as opposed to yeah. maybe when you were born dad when kids people were pumping out five or six kids so yeah for sure um, yeah, there's well, a lot of, happening all at once that they're trying to manage so i will give them oh, for sure like, one of one of the things going on oh sorry yeah one of the things you posted this week demo was a thing from the new productivity commissioner um and she did this speech when she was in the Grattan Institute, which is like an economic think tank. And, you know, one of the challenges for the country is um, the cost of an ageing population. Now, you know, we've got, we're going to have a lot of people retiring, like people are over 50 going to be retiring. Um, a lot of them have the wealth to fund themselves without being a burden on the taxpayer. But at the moment, um they're a burden on the taxpayer because they get um, concessional super. Their family home is not part of the um, pension assets test. Um, yeah, they've got lots of equity and property that yeah they should be yeah should and could be accessing to pay for their latter years in life rather than being yeah subsidised by younger people working. So yeah, I when when we when um. Labor got elected last May. Um, one of their things was to have a um, 
uh, jobs and something else, some, I can't remember what it was. And, you know, one of the outcomes was, you know, we needed to um, open up the borders again to get people in to fill jobs. Yeah, we're doing that while we've got half a million people here who are not working. So, yeah, it's a bit of a clusterfuck at the moment. But anyway, yeah. so just getting on to those other things, Damo, like rents are still expected to rise, yeah, you know, more investors coming into the market. When we're noticing the the bank, yeah, you know, one of the things um, the banks are doing is they're just getting more flexible with with borrowing capacity and having lower servicing buffers. Because um, you know the banks are sort of thinking that you know during COVID you could get a loan at two percent, so your your borrowing capacity was assessed at five. Now you're getting a rate of high five, so you assessed your borrowing capacity is assessed at high eights. And that that's too high. So, yeah, banks are doing more to sort of yeah help investors. Um, yeah, some banks were shading rent by fifty percent during COVID. So you know if you if you if your property earns a grand a week, say fifty grand a year, fifty two grand a year, the bank would only let you use twenty five or twenty six grand in your servicing calculation for how much you can borrow. Now some banks are uh, shading that by ten percent. Yeah, which means you know forty five to forty six grand, which means you can borrow probably an extra hundred and fifty to two hundred. So the the other thing that, regardless of what happens, no matter how good things are, there'll always be people pushing a pessimistic line because that that sells newspapers and and some people need an excuse not to do something. So um, we always say, look now, if you can afford it, now looks like from what we're seeing, a reasonable time to be active in the market, whether as an owner-occupier or as an investor, because, um, you know, the interest rates look like being on hold for a while and then maybe dropping. If there is another rate rise, probably there will only be one. I don't think it'll be in October because that's Michelle Bullock's first meeting. And, you know, there's plenty of good opportunities around and banks have been a bit more um, flexible with their lending. So, um, yeah, so... The, Generally, the trend looks good. A couple of other things I was just going to mention, Damo. Brokers wrote over two-thirds of home loans in the June quarter. Um, it's down slightly from near 70%, I think, in the March quarter. There's a lot more bank advertising at the moment, I've noticed. So I think that's driving a few more people to go direct to banks. You know, your bank loves you and they will, I'm sure, give you a reasonable deal to get your business. But just keep in mind that, 6, 12, 18, 24 months down the track, that lender is not going to ring you up and offer you a rate discount. So um, I'd always encourage you to have a chat with a broker just because, you know, most brokers will be in contact with lenders on a regular basis to make sure you're on the best deal around. You know, I mentioned about policy changes. We, I was on a webinar with one of the, with a bank yesterday and if you live at home rent-free, um Bank, this the particular bank will take that into um, consideration um, when um, assessing how much you can borrow because you don't have a rent cost. Um, most banks use a thing called notional rent if you live at home, which is on the basis that you know if you if you did move out from your parents' house, you would or you know siblings' house or whoever um, relatives' house. If you did move out, you'd be up for a rent cost, so they factor that in, and this bank doesn't, which is going to improve some serviceability. So that was, yeah, lenders are doing that all the time, and a broker will be across, yeah, you know, the different sort of 
policies and which banks are going to help you out. We had a loan approved earlier this, I was yesterday, the clients, you know, he is self-employed and had a lean year in 2022, but a good year in 2023. Now, most banks want to see two years financials, uh, whereas some banks will with an explanation except one year's financials. So if he'd have gone to his bank, they would not have got the loan, but we knew which bank to go to and the loan's been approved. So auction clearance rates, they're still reasonably good, um, up around the 70% in most places. You know, they're, Brisbane, they're down, but Brisbane's never really had an auction sort of culture. Mm-hmm. But, you know, they're still around the 70% mark in um, Sydney and Melbourne uh, and Adelaide's still going pretty good. And the only other one I was going to chat through, Damo, and this is something we talk to people, especially first-time buyers when they're, when they're buying, is what sort of questions to ask an agent before making an offer. And it was a good, it was a good thing that... Um, John McGrath put together in one of the newsletters we get. So, what, you know, the first question he's got is what's the price guide and, you know, what comparable sales were used to support the price guide. We're still seeing in a lot of areas, um, you know, places selling for 10 to 15% over the guide, um, why the government agency that looks after real estate agents um, doesn't do more in that field is is um, is beyond me. Um you know, asking have they had any offers, how many contracts they've issued. Um, his fifth point, I think, is the first point that you should be asking. That's why is the owner selling? It's always good to know why the owner is selling and what their time frame is. Um, you might have someone who wants to sell and rent the place back while they look elsewhere. You might have someone who wants to sell and rent the place back because they're in mortgage stress, but they still want to stay in the area. So... Um, they might want to rent the place back. You might need someone who needs to sell quickly because they, you know, they've bought elsewhere and um, they need to settle that transaction. So, you know, the number one for us is also what is always why is the owner selling? Um, yeah, the next question was, you know, has the owner bought elsewhere? Have they done any major work and was that approved by council? You know, normally you'll pick that up, but it's good to know, you know, just, you know, if there's recent renovations, have they been through council? If if a place is going to auction, we always suggest, you know, asking if they're open to pre-auction offers because you can often, you know, if, if the agent suggested an auction campaign or the seller wants an auction campaign and there hasn't been much interest, sometimes they will bring it forward. And also, you know, is there a pest and build report available? We always recommend you get your own. Because, you know, how reliable is that going to be if an agent uses a particular pest and build firm, um, if they start giving bad reports, are they going to get work into the future? So it's always best to get your own one, but it's it's useful to see what's on the one that's, you know, if there's been one provided. In some jurisdictions, um, notably Canberra, if you're selling a house, you have to get a pest and build report done uh, and provide and that's basically so, you know, in other jurisdictions, if you've got 10 people making, you know, interested in a house and making offers, you, know, you could potentially have five or 10 people getting pest and build reports um, on the same place. So anyway, Damo, that was that was all, all the ones I had. Yeah, easy. Well, yeah, if I'm just to humbly or shamelessly plug 
is the right word, I guess, a bunch of podcasts we've had coming out. So there's a guy called Chris Wojcik. He's top 15. I think he is number 15 in the world as a jiu-jitsu competitor at the 77-kilo weight division. He's over based in Austin, Texas. Um, he's 26, and he ta- uh, we had a chat on the podcast about like his journey as a jiu-jitsu athlete, which is something I've trained for a few years and I sort of love as a hobbyist. Um, we talked about how he's basically funding his jiu-jitsu journey now half by teaching and doing seminars as a jiu-jitsu coach while also writing as a ghost writer for people's newsletters on the side so he he gets yeah. his money from his writing pursuits as well as his jiu-jitsu which was sort of cool so we chatted on there that's available um i chatted to a guy called john s nash who's a journalist from america talking about a, a, a lawsuit going on right now between the ufc and a bunch of former ufc fighters who are suing them for uh basically antitrust lawsuits to to prove in court that they're an illegal monopsony uh violating the sherman act which is a uh, an anti-monopsony law in America to sort of protect consumers from being sort of affected by companies that are the sole buyer of a service. Uh, and and so that was a pretty interesting one if you're interested in learning a little bit about that. And Dave Gow, this interview I did with Dave Gow came out a couple of days ago. He's got a newsletter called Strong Money Australia, and he retired in his mid-30s uh, he's got a he's got a wife, I think, and a, and a couple of kids. He lives over in Perth, and he doesn't have to work ever again because of uh, how he chose to live and structure his life to save as much money as possible to invest. So he never had to work if he didn't want to. So we had a chat for about thirty minutes, and that came out a few days ago. So if you want to check that one out, that's pretty good too. Uh, if you want to learn a little bit about how he basically figured out how to retire as early as humanly possible, and this guy just like goes to the beach and walks his dog every day and does whatever the fuck he wants, which is uh, probably something some people aspire to listening. So if you want to check those out, they're all there. Um, yeah, just go to Facebook. Money Saver Home Loans is is the way to find us if you want to get in, uh, get in touch about anything home loan related or money and budgeting related, or just go to moneysaverhomeloans.com.au and you can find us there. So hope you found this informative. Share it to anyone you think might help hearing this info, and we'll talk to you next time.